Today's subject is um, pretty heavy. The word wrath is never fun. And what we're looking at here in the book of Romans is, uh, just began this a few weeks ago, and it's going to take the bulk of the year to get through it, honestly. We've already looked at how Paul was called to reach out to this particular church in Rome that was both Jew, Jewish Christian and also Gentile Christians, and how that was somewhat of a problem. He's going to get to that, just their, them getting along. Um, and he talked last, we looked last week how he emphasized mutual encouragement, especially by God's righteousness, and that righteousness was available to everybody. And it doesn't matter the label that you put on yourself, Jew or Gentile or man or woman. It's, he loves you, period. And, and that's what he's going to see as he's going to um, teach in more detail in the chapters ahead. Today, wrath from God with the question, who deserves that? The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is great news. The best news ever. But in order to more fully understand just how God, how good it truly is, we first need to see how bad things really are. This is what Paul is doing from Romans 1.18 all the way to the third chapter in verse 20. And we're not covering all of that today, we're just taking it at the end of the first chapter, but that is the depth of the the examination of the problem, shall we say, or, or perhaps the diagnosis. <clears throat> Wrath of God is being revealed. When you hear those words, it, it probably conjures up images of the Red Sea crashing down upon the chariots as they were chasing the Israelites. Or maybe lightning bolts from heaven, or uh, plagues in Egypt, wrath of God. And if we're honest, maybe you feel this way or have felt this way, and I certainly know many people I know, that is their, their operative understanding of God, wrath. Like, I have to keep my life in line somehow the best I can, as best as I can understand of what God expects of me and hopes the way that I conduct my life will be acceptable, will be honoring, will be obedient enough that I can escape the wrath of God. Because I don't want one of them lightning bolts hitting me. It's an amazing picture, by the way. I don't know if that was created with Photoshop or whatever, but um, just the idea of power from heaven coming down upon us in a bad way in a hurtful way, from God. That's what we usually think of when you see the term wrath of God. But here in the context of Romans, that's not what, where Paul is going with it. So keep that thought in mind as we go forward. He's saying the wrath of God is being revealed. So what is it that is being revealed? So who deserves this wrath? Well, the answer is they. He keeps saying they throughout this passage. They do. Now let's look at the, who they are and what they've done. Look at what they did in verses 21 and 23. They didn't glorify God or thank him. They, their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise and yet they became fools. They exchanged God's glory for images, images of 
other humans, of birds, of animals, of reptiles, and right away we're probably thinking about idol worship. The thing about idol worship and, and really most of the, the problems that we encounter come from things that began with good intention or have a good purpose but got twisted and distorted and down the wrong path. God made birds and reptiles for us to enjoy, and yet we don't worship them. God made people so we can enjoy one another and get to know one another and live and walk this earth together, hopefully in an attitude of love and, and, and of sharing and of community, and yet that doesn't often happen. What kind of things do we get wrapped up in in terms of images? And let me give you a modern example of this, okay? Um, next week, uh, a good part of our country anymore is going to be sitting by the television at 6.30 at night on Sunday to see if the Chiefs win or if the Eagles win. Hmm. Hey, go Chiefs, go Eagles. Uh, who cares? Okay, there's, there's, there's the three camps, all right? <laughs> well, if you're a sports fan... Eagles. It's an image of, 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 of strength, a symbol of our country, and that's why, presumably, the team in Philadelphia chose that as their, as their mascot. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, except when that image represents worship of football. Now, I, I'm not saying everyone who's a football fan worships football. Don't get me wrong. But some do. Because think about the word worship. What is the root of that word? <clears throat> Worth. So when you give yourself to something completely and more and more, and you invest time, you invest money, that could be a sign that you are worshiping that. When, when that becomes more important than people in your life, when that becomes more important than your family, when you're quite happy to spend $200 for the jersey with the number of your favorite player so you can wear it to the game where you bought tickets for $200, but you can't afford to put food on the table or maybe pay the bills that are piling up, that is a sign of worship for the wrong thing. You are worshiping an image that is basically innocent. It's a team that plays sports. It's fun. They're great athletes. I'll watch the game. I'll enjoy the game one way or the other. But it can get distorted and abused and misused. And that's the way it is with so many things that the image, another, another thing about, about that word image, when God created mankind, he says in Genesis chapter 1 at the end of the chapter that we were created in the image of God. And then later on, when Moses was given commandments, and then specifically Ten Commandments, one of those says that we are not to, to create images to be bowed down to. Why is that so important to God? Is it just so he can get mad if we worship something else or you know, build an idol out of a hawk or something and bow down to it? No, it's also about us. You're better than that, God is saying. You, your identity is deeper and so much more, more than, than those things that you're bowing down to and even other people. We have an, enti an entire industry and it's sad that it's, it's 
has that label now to it, but pornography is an industry with billions of dollars. About what? Images. Images that are worshipped. Images that can addict. Images. And so, so people aren't thinking as they're looking at those images that they are worshiping them in the way they worship God, but in effect and in practical reality, that's exactly what can happen. Images. So this is what Paul is pointing out here, what they are doing. Now, now what else is happening with they? What did God do about them in response to what they are doing? He gave them over. And there's three times he uses this phrase in this passage, the 24th, 26th, and 28th verse, gave them over, gave them over, gave them over. The 24th verse identifies sexual impurity. Again, our image is better than that. Okay, more than that. That's not what he had in mind, but people take something good, something godly, something beautiful and wonderful. And here's the thing. God is the creator of life. We, are bear, we bear his image. And what are we able to do through sexuality is bring life. It is a life-giving relationship. So there is that connection between us and image and God and sexuality. It all, it all kind of flows together. And then in the 26th verse, he talks about shameful lust that he gave them over to. Now, as God continues to give over, that's really what the, the meaning in this text is about wrath. It's not that God's waiting for you to make a mistake, then he's going to do something. It's more, okay, that's the path you've chosen. Let's see how that goes for you. And you will experience the wrath, if you will, of the absence of of God or the or the absence of God's presence the absence of God's ways that you're not following and you will reap what you've sown as Paul writes elsewhere so this is really what he, he's pointing out here about wrath now in the 26 and 27th verses I mentioned that um, in this this whole study of Romans I won't pretend to be able to cover everything okay and the main emphasis today is all of these rather stark descriptions of the condition of they that, that Paul is pointing out to. We'll, we'll get back to and refocus on that in a moment. But because the 26th and 27th verse are so controversial in today's world, let me pause there. This is where there is a, a, a rather clear identification of homosexuality as sin. Now, I'll come back to that in a moment in Romans 1. I will say this. Elsewhere in Scripture, many of the passages of Scripture that are used to condemn homosexuality are pulled out of context, twisted, or not telling the full story of what else is going on. Um, the, I think the biggest example of that would be the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. Um, so... Lot is there in that city, and uh, Abraham's told that God's going to rescue him from there, and he sends in these angels who looked like people, but they were angels, 
and they were, they're going to pull Lot out, and there's a mob at the door demanding that Lot let him in, and this mob of men wanted to basically rape the visitors. Okay? Um, so the, the, on the surface, the problem is gang rape. Okay? It's not a condemnation of homosexuality in that context. The sin of Sodom wasn't homosexuality. That was part of the soup, if you will. But if you want a clear identification of what was the sin of Sodom, you go to Ezekiel. This is his words, not mine. Okay? Ezekiel chapter 16. And in the 49th verse, Ezekiel is comparing in this, in this text the problem of, of the people of Israel walking away from God and, and, and just he's, he's comparing them to the people of Sodom. Okay, you're, you're so bad you're like them. You're like that was the worst of the worst. God wiped that city out for a reason. Okay, what was the reason? Chapter 16, verse verse 49. Again, this is the word of the prophet Ezekiel. This isn't Pastor Paul. I'm just reading directly from the word. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. That adds a whole different twist, doesn't it? When people want to take that scripture and say, all homosexuality is something that God's going to you know, wipe you out for. The wrath is coming. Paul also preaches, excuse me, teaches about homosexuality. Other texts, I won't bother going to them at the moment. But quite often, the word used for homosexuality in the Greek in those texts can also be translated sexual immorality. So it, it's, it's not that specifically necessarily, okay? However, in Romans 1, Paul is clearly writing about homosexuality as sin. I'm not going to apologize for that. It's in the Word of God. And, and there's not a way to, to kind of jump into this text and say, well, he's really saying something else here when he uses very clear and graphic language otherwise, Okay? Now, that is part of the Word of God perhaps you have to grapple with. I've, I've, it's probably fair to say that every one of us in this room has, has people in our lives um, that, that are gay, lesbian, etc. I, I can't keep up with all the alliteration anymore. But not to be disrespectful of all of the ways that people are living, okay, and the reasons they're there. Our responsibility is to love people. And when we have trouble with part of the Word of God, okay, go to God about that. Pray it through. Learn about it. But what Paul is saying here in Romans 1, 26 and 27, he didn't write for us to whack homosexuals over the head with. That's for sure. He's making a larger point that this is a small part of. Okay? So I'm going to leave that there for now, and that's something I would love to discuss with you one-to-one -one sometime because, again, this is, this is a very controversial issue today as it has been for a long time, and, and how we as believers deal with this and, and grapple with these scriptures, and, and then how, most importantly, regardless of where we end up with how we treat these scriptures, believe these scriptures, we love 
the person. We love people, period, because that's what God does. Amen. He loves people. And there's more about they now. Look what they did with their depraved minds. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. Evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. Oh, that's an ugly list. Boy, is there any more, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> and they are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Whew. Who is they? Sounds like they're in big trouble. And wait, there's more. Okay, sorry, Paul. They didn't want to cut the list off. And they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Now, why is that one in there? I mean, you got some pretty nasty things going on here, and he throws that one in. Well, that's there for good reason. A person learns authority first and foremost where? Parents. Mom and dad. Parents. The person that's raising them. They learn authority. That's their, who's in charge of them. Hopefully that authority is being carried out well. Hopefully there's not an absence of authority there, which does happen. But that's where you learn authority. And when you are disobeying that authority, you are rebelling against authority. So that's not to say, again, God's not going to strike every child for disobeying mom and dad. But what do mom and dad do with that Rebellion. What do mom and dad do with that disobedience so it doesn't become a pattern of rebellion? Because if you don't learn to respect authority at home, then you're going to carry that disrespect for authority into school. Teachers, <laughs> there's amens there, I'm sure. And if you don't carry that, if you have a lack of respect or don't learn authority, then it's the same when you get your first job. It's the same when you have a confrontation with a police officer or a judge or whatever other position of authority there might be. We're going to have more trouble with that if we weren't taught properly as children what disobedience to mom and dad means. And hopefully a loving response of discipline from mom and dad is what they experienced. No parent does it perfectly, but that is one of our main roles as parents, isn't it? To, to, to love them and raise them and keep them safe and teach them, and when they mess up, to teach them. Teachable moments. So all of this leads to no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. It's interesting that Paul ends this pretty nasty list of vices and, and sinful paths with a lack of love and mercy. Love and mercy. That's what the gospel is at its heart. Love from God. Expressing the mercy of His Son Jesus given for all of us. Love and mercy. He ends the, the passage with this verse. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So who are they? Who on earth is this people? Well, yeah, it's people. Verse 18, back to 18. The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. It's important in the English language, there's a comma there. 
Because otherwise you could flow right through. People who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Well, that's not me. I'm off the hook. No, it's people. For example, this, 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 and this. People. And the 20th verse. He says, uh, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. All people. Every one of these days, every one of these descriptions is about people. And yes, that includes you. That includes me. Let me jump ahead to next week's passage, just the first verse in chapter 2. You therefore have no excuse. You have passed judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you you who pass judgment are doing the same things. It's not that... You did all of those nasty things listed there. You personally, individually did that. But we did. We. We, that is humanity. We, that is people who live and walk this earth, are part of it. We share in the responsibility for what we have done. Pick any Any of the many evils we see in our world right there. The temptation is this. To look at how bad the world is. And what I didn't want to do today was give the impression, oh, bummer, pastor, just telling about how awful the world is, awful people are. Boy, I get enough of that every day. I don't have to go to church for that. But but here's where the warning is, okay? Too often, you see something like that, and in our mind's eye, we're thinking, I'm glad I'm not them. Oh, yeah, that's them over there. Oh, yeah, those people. Yeah, they're the ones. If they would just get their act together, then my life would be better, then our lives would be better, but it's their fault. And you can fill in whatever you want to with who that is. Whatever people group, whatever religion, whatever political platform, you, just, you can just cast all the problems in their direction and then kind of feel, yeah, whew. It's not my fault. I'm still suffering from it. If they just get their act together, this world would be a better place. This country would be a better place. This community would be a better place. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, this is your fault. This is our fault. War in the last 100 plus years has taken tens of millions, I think it's over 100 million lives. Or maybe it's 200. I, I didn't look that up to get the number right, so forgive me. But war, going back to World War I through today, across the planet. Wow. Is that my fault? Personally, individually? No. Is that our fault? Yes. So I, I can't personally carry the weight of evil. But I do share in the responsibility of evil all around the world. You see the difference there? This is what Paul is getting at. He is saying we, as humans, this is our condition. All of those things that that he listed here. This this is, and and as, as I'm reading this, as you're listening to this, you probably are thinking of examples of ancient times and also of yesterday, this morning, whatever. There's examples of this every day before us. So it's not a surprise, but the the shift in thinking needs to come in, okay, who's responsible for this? Well, we are together 
And what's God going to do about it? Or, more accurately, what has God done about the fact that humanity is broken? And very broken. So, as we look ahead to where this is headed in the scriptures, and I encourage you to read ahead. Paul's got some more bad news coming <laughs> through the second chapter and into the third. But this, in Romans, um, back on the one, one of the verses in 24, for the first time in this book, you see a word there. The word is, therefore. Paul uses the word, therefore, 22 times in this book. That's more than any other New Testament book, therefore. And you've probably heard me say, when you see the word therefore, you look what it's there for, okay? It is, he's, he's building an argument. He's building a case. He is using something in, um, in, in Greek culture, especially among those who are really into philosophy, rhetoric. He's building a case, an argument, if you will about here's the way things are, here's how, here's the way people are, here's the way God is, here's what God did about it. So he's building the case one upon this, upon this, upon this, upon this, and each time he builds these therefores, 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 which is why we have to be careful about just jumping into Romans and grabbing a verse. We can, some of them do stand very well on their own, but context is important, and the context of Romans is like one big book, pretty much. And that's why I'm taking most of the year to, to look at this. So as carefully as we can, we look at, this, at Romans as one big expression of the love of God given through Jesus that is for and available to everybody. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for this book that we learn from. Help us to learn. Help us to trust you with the areas that, that we don't agree with or find difficult, but also to thank you for the areas that we are blessed by, and most of all by the love given to us that is expressed mostly in Jesus, who gave his life for us, who shed his blood and broke his body for us. And we ask your blessing as we share in the bread and the cup today as your church, as your body of believers gathered here today. And we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.